Chapter 14 of Wandle the Invader by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wandle the Invader. Chapter 14 We were unarmed. I had flung my weapon at the thing in the forest, and Snap had exhausted all his bolts firing at the multitude of green eyes. Molo and Wick came with a dive through the air. Two tiny flashes leapt from them to the rocks behind them and flung them forward. Snap and I seized Venza and Anita. It was a second of confusion. Then I saw we would not be able to rise in time. The driving, oncoming figures were no more than twenty feet away. "'Protect Venza, Snap! Get her behind you!' Snap shoved Venza behind him. I got myself in front of Anita. We had almost gained our feet. I tried to thrust Anita and myself violently upward. We rose, but only a few feet. And then we were struck by the oncoming body of Wick, like a huge, light-shelled, three-pound insect lunging in mid-air against us. The two longest tentacle arms wrapped around us. Anita twisted and kicked. The gruesome, goggling face of Wick thrust itself almost into mine. The hollow voice panted, "'I have you fast!' One of my arms was free, and I struck with my fist at the gaping, upended mouth. There was a crack. My fist sank through the shell. A cold, sticky ooze spurted out. Wick screamed. His encircling arms fell away. The grisly smashed face was white with ooze and pulp where my fist had gone in. We had sunk back to the rocks. I kicked the dead body of Wick away. Anita, swim up! No! Sinking beside us were the flailing bodies of Molo, Snap, and Venza were drifting down. They seemed intermingled. Snap was shouting, "'No, you don't! Drop that!' I leapt for them. Something long and thin and glowing was dangling from Molo's hand. He broke loose from the struggling Snap and Venza. His feet struck the rocks and he shoved himself backward. My leap carried me too high. I saw that in his hand was a six-foot length of glowing wire. He whirled it. The weight on its end described an arc, and then he flung the handle. The weighted wire struck Venza and Snap just as their repulsive ray shot down against the rocks and shoved them upward. The whirling wire wrapped itself around them, bound them together. Its glow vanished. Snap had been shouting, "'Greg, come up!' But it died in his throat. All this while, in those few seconds, I was vaulting over Mola, trying to get back to the ground to leap again. I saw that Anita was crawling on the rocks. My gravity cylinder was at my belt. I jammed it there to leave my hands free, just as Wick struck me. I saw that Snap and Venza, wrapped together by the wire, had dropped their gravity projector. Their entwined figures went up some fifty feet and stopped, then began drifting down. Mola was shouting, "'You, Greg Helgen, now for you!' I struck the rocks and fell twenty feet behind him. I jerked out my gravity projector, but I did not know what I wanted to do with it. And in that second I saw that the standing Mola was aiming at me. Directly over my head the inert-bound bodies of Venza and Snap were falling. A flash leapt over the dark rocks from Molo. There was a split second when I thought it was the end of me. But I was still alive. The bodies of Venza and Snap struck my head and shoulders, knocked me down. I felt Molo's ray upon me. Not death, but only his gravity ray, like a giant hand pulling me. 
Apparently he wanted us alive. I was scrambling on the rocks, entangled with Venza and Snap. Molo's radiance clung. All three of us went tumbling forward toward him. I flashed my own ray, but I was rolling end over end, and it went wild. I dropped it, saw Molo's beam vanish, saw his upright standing figure towering above me. Snap, Venza, and I were in a heap at his feet. He leaned down and seized me. Now, Greg Halgen, I will teach you not to try escaping like this. With the huge, muscular Martian gripping me, his fist striking for my face but missing and hitting my shoulder, this was a semblance of normality. I could understand fighting like this. I wrapped my legs around him. My fingers reached for his brawny throat as he kicked us into the air free of the entangling bodies of Snap and Venza. We rose a few feet and sank back, gripping each other, lunging and striking. He was very powerful, this Martian. I caught the round pillar of his throat with my hands. For an instant I shut off his wind, but I could not hold the grip. He struck me a glancing blow in the face, then the heel of his hand was under my chin. It forced my head back, broke my hold on his throat. With returning breath he gasped an inhalation, and I heard his exulting words, "'You are not strong enough!' We rolled and bumped over the rocks. I caught a blow from his fists full in my face. It was almost the end. I felt my strength going. He laughed as he struck away my answering swing. I was on my back against the rocks, with his body on top of me. Then, beyond and behind his hulking shoulder, silhouetted against the sky, I saw Anita rise up. She was lifting a jagged gray mass of stone, full four feet in diameter. She poised it, then crashed it down on Molo's head. He sank away from me, his arms relaxed. The boulder rolled beside him. It was over now. Wick was dead. His gruesome body with its smashed face lay near us. Molo was unconscious, breathing heavily, lying motionless, with a wound on the back of his head, the blood welling out, matting his hair. Anita and I were uninjured, victorious, but what a hollow victory! On the rocks here, bound together by that strange wire, Snap and Venza lay inert. We bent over them. The wire was cold to the touch now. It resisted our efforts to untwine it. We pulled frantically as we pleaded, "'Snap! Speak to us! Venza, can't you speak?' Their eyes were open. I was aware that there was no starlight above us, but instead a lurid sky of flying clouds, shot with a greenish cast. The darkness here was green. The glow of it struck upon the wide-open, staring eyes of Venza and Snap. It seemed that there was intelligence in those eyes. "'Snap, can't you hear us?' His eyelids came down and up again, slowly, as though by a horrible effort. "'Can you move, Snap?' His right eyelid moved. Was his answer no? Anita and I had never felt so horrible a sense of aloneness as that which swept us in those succeeding minutes. A breeze was springing up in the lurid green night. It came from the mountains. It wafted across the nearby river, rippling the surface, which was now green and sullen. We did not know where to go, what to do. We found at last that we could untwist the stiffly clinging wire. We laid Venza and Snap on the rocks side by side, about thirty feet back from the river. 
the glowing wire had burned their clothes only a little, as the current was absorbed by the contact with their bodies. Snap, are you in pain? His eyes seemed to be trying to talk to me. Anita rose from Venza. Oh, Greg, what shall we do? Can't we carry them? But where? To what purpose? Wild thoughts thronged me. Wandel's control station, bringing chaos and death upon Earth, Mars, and Venus. What was that now to me? I thought of Molo's ship. Anita, if we can get to the Star Streak, seize it, and escape from this world. Carry Snap and Venza there now? But we don't know where it is. Can we make Molo lead us? Molo lay unconscious. I could not rouse him. Anita and I were so alone. We clung together. Greg, look at that sky. Mounting wind was tugging at us. It whined through the dark mountain defiles, surged out over the river where the water now was beginning to toss with waves crossing the swift current. The sky was shot with green shafts of radiance. Over us the lowering, leaden clouds were scudding, riding the wind. It burst now upon us. I found suddenly that Anita and I were bracing against it. A puff dislodged us, so that we were blown a dozen feet, bringing up against a crag as though we were balloons. "'Anita! This wind! We can't maintain ourselves here! We—' Horror checked me at the thought of Venza and Snap, lying there on the rocks. We saw the body of Wick, like a great dried insect lifted by the wind, hurled like a brown leaf over and over and carried away. A little pebble came hurtling and struck me. Then a rain of pebbles, like hailstones, was pelting at us. The storm was probably caused by the axial rotation of Wandel. The light beam upon Earth had been attacked by the Wandel control station without axial rotation. But to attack the beam from Mars, a manipulation of Wandel was necessary. The planet's rotation was started and suddenly checked. It remained night now here in this hemisphere. Perhaps there were natural storm tendencies here. Perhaps the operators of the control station were unduly eager, manipulating the rotation too suddenly. At all events, it was frightening. I shouted above its whine and the clatter of the pebbles. "'Hold on to me! We'll get to Venza and Snap!' We reached the two inert forms where they had blown into a niche between two boulders. "'Can't stay here, Anita.' "'No, if it begins again.' "'Over there! A cave!' We got Venza and Snap into it, just as another gust came, with a rain of dirt and loose stones pelting past outside. Suddenly I thought of Molo. "'Anita, stay here. Must get to Molo.' "'Greg, no! I must!' If we can bring him to consciousness, make him tell us where the star streak is. I flung off her restraining hold. The wind had eased up. I leapt out into it, swimming. The rock slid by close under me in a swift, sidewise drift. In a moment I would be carried out over the river. It was a chaos of green, wind-swept darkness. But there was bursting light now overhead and rumbling claps, like thunder. I saw Molo's body where the wind had held him pinned against the side of a flat ten-foot butte, and dove for him, swimming down frantically, until I struck against the rock with a blow that almost knocked the breath from me. Molo was still obviously unconscious. 
How long it took me to get back to Anita, floundering with Molo's body, I do not know. I managed to keep against the ground, was blown back, and struggled forward again. The wind came in strange puffs. In one of the lulls I hauled Molo through the air and into the cave. "'Greg!' Anita held to me, her arms around me. "'Greg, dear, you were gone so long!' I was battered and bruised and breathless. The cave's mouth was like a ten-foot tunnel leading downward into blackness. "'Greg, I put Venza and Snap here.' They lay side by side, like two dead bodies, here in the greenish darkness. We placed Mola with them. Together, Anita and I crouched beside them, clinging to each other, listening to the wild sweep of the wind outside. The storm had burst into full fury now. It would whirl us away like feathers outside there now. The lightning and thunder hissed and crashed. Stones and boulders were being flung like hailstones. This flimsy, weightless world. It seemed as though the rocks here on which we were crouching would be shifted and carried away. "'Greg! Greg! Is this the end?' A mass of rocks fell at the opening, closing it, so that we were buried here in the darkness. Anita, my darling, I will never stop loving you. Darkness, with her arms around me and a shuddering world outside. But here only Anita and her soft arms. Greg! Horror was in her voice. Then I saw what she was seeing. It was not just Anita and I buried here in the darkness with the bodies of Snap and Venza and Molo. Something else was here. From the blackness of the cave, Two green, glowing eyes were staring. Their radiance showed me the outlines of a distended head. An insane thing? But it was not another of the forest insects. This seemed to be an animal. The glow of its distended head disclosed a lithe, horizontal body, seemingly solid and muscled. A chattering, insane animal, here in the dark with us. We heard mouthing, mumbling words and an eerie, cackling laugh as it came padding toward us. The thing in the cave stared at us as we clung together in the darkness, transfixed for a moment by horror. The distended head, ghastly a face with its green glowing eyes, wobbled upon a long, spindly neck. The eyes seemed luminous of their own internal light. The radiance from them faintly lighted the black cave, so we were able to see its tawny, hairy body. It was long, sleek, the size of an earth leopard. A muscled body, with ponderable weight, it was moving toward us, padding on the rocks. I recovered my wits and shoved Anita behind me. I crouched on one knee. There was no escape, nowhere to run. This tunnel was blocked by a fallen rock mass behind us, with the wild storm raging outside. The thing was some twenty feet away, where the tunnel broadened into a black cave of unknown size. Beside me, Snap and Venza lay inert, the still unconscious Molo with them. There was nothing to do but crouch here and protect Anita. I waved my arms, shouted above the outside surge of the storm. My voice reverberated with a muffled roar in this subterranean darkness. "'Get back! Back! Back away from me!' It stopped. Round ears stood up from the bloated head. Then it laughed again. I felt Anita shoving a rock at my hand, a chunk of rock the size of my head. "'It's face, Greg! Aim for its face!' 
The rock felt like a ball of cork. I flung it and hit the thing on the body. Its laughter checked abruptly. It crouched, as though gathering for a spring. And then I thought of my gravity projector. I flashed on the repulsive ray to its full intensity. The tawny body leapt. It came hurtling, but my beam met it in mid-air. For a second I thought that I had been too late. The thing was clawing the air. Its momentum carried it against the push of my ray. For an instant it hung snarling and then laughed that wild laugh. The ray forced it back. It receded through the air, back across the blackness of the cave, gathering speed until, in a moment, it brought up against the opposite wall some forty feet away. There it hung, pinned as I held the ray upon it. The body had struck the rocky wall, but the head was uninjured. It was writhing and twisting. The cave was filled with the reverberations of its screams. Over the screams I heard another voice. "'Oh, Greg, where are you?' Snap! Behind me Anita was moving sidewise toward where Snap and Venza were lying. The thing pinned in my light stopped its screaming, with curiosity perhaps at this new sound. "'Snap! We're here, Snap!' Then Venza's voice. "'It's letting me talk. We're better now.' They were recovering. Anita was bending over them. "'Greg, they're all right. The shock is wearing off, thank God.' But I did not dare move to them. My light on the snarling thing across the cave held it, but I did not dare to relax my attention. I called, "'Stay with them, Anita!' I moved slowly forward, holding the beam steady. The cave floor was littered with loose stones and boulders. Ten feet from the pinned animal I selected a great chunk of rock. It towered in my hand, but the weight of it was only a few pounds. The gravity held the animal as though I had pinned it by a pole. From the distance of a few feet I heaved the boulder. The palpitating head mashed against the wall. The body and the pulp of the head and the boulder sank to the floor when I removed the beam. Snap! Thank God you're recovered! And you, Venza! Anita and I sat with them. They had been fully conscious all the while, but they were out of it now. An hour passed while we sat crouched, listening to the storm. It's letting up, Venza said out of a silence. Anita was sitting over the prone form of Molo. He had stirred and mumbled several times. Let's see if we can get out of here, Snap suggested. Rocks had fallen and blocked the only exit from the cave, but to our strength even the hugest of the rocks was movable. Shall we try it now, Greg? As though we were elephants, heaving and pushing, we struggled with the litter choking the passage. There was a danger that the whole thing would cave in on us, but we were careful of that. We tossed the small rocks aside like pebbles. There was one main mass. Together we pulled and tugged and shifted it. A small opening was disclosed, large enough for our bodies. The wind puffed in through it. The girls called us. Molo had regained consciousness. The blow from the rock had only stunned him. We bound his wrists with a portion of his belt which we cut into strips. "'What is it you do with me? Is Wick dead?' "'Yes.' He lay silent and sullen. "'Look here, Molo. We're going to get out of this, and you're going to help us. If you don't—' The knife which we had taken from him to cut his belt was in my hand. 
I drew its blade lightly across his throat. Will you talk freely and truthfully? Yes, I will talk the truth. Do you know where the control station is located? Yes. Where? Not far. The hell with that! Snap burst out. Get it meshed in your mind, Molo, that we're in no mood for talk like that. How far is it? On earth you would call it ten miles. In these mountains? He told us it was, said Anita, underground. Do you know where your ship is? I persisted. He told us that it was some thirty miles in another direction, not in the mountains, but in the outskirts of a city like war. It was equipped and ready for flight, all but the assembling of its crew. And now we had weapons. Molo was carrying several of the gravity projectors, two small searchlight beams, little hand torches, and three electronic ray guns of short-range size. Hope filled us. The storm was abating. We could creep upon the single small control room of the gravity station, where usually but two operators were stationed. The delicate mechanisms there could be wrecked. And then we would seize the star streak. No one would be on the lookout for us. The fact that Molo's prisoners had escaped was as yet unknown. He and Wick had not dared tell it. Mika was back there waiting. Our absence from the globe-dwelling might have been discovered, but Mika would say that we were with Molo. She was waiting there, hoping that her brother and Wick would recapture us. All this we dragged piecemeal from Molo. Snap and I shared the gravity projectors and the small electronic guns. Let's get started, Greg. The storm seems over. It was. We found the purple-red starry night again outside. The river was lashed white with waves, but they were spent. There was only a mild warm breeze remaining. Molo's legs were free, but his wrists were lashed behind him. I hooked an arm under his, holding him like a huge but light oblong bundle. Snap called, "'Ready, Greg?' "'Yes.' Snap flashed on his gravity ray and mounted, with the girls clinging to his ankles. Then I followed with Molo. By great arching swoops we swung up into the frowning, tumbled mountains. End of chapter 14